was reluctant to practice medicine and would have been content to spend his life in research, but in 1882 he fell in love and became engaged to Marta Bernays. Since there was no possibility of his earning enough to support a wife and family if he remained in Brücke's laboratory, Freud reluctantly abandoned his research career and spent the next three years gaining medical experience in the Vienna General Hospital, preparatory to embarking upon medical practice. In 1885, he was appointed a lecturer in neuropathology at the University of Vienna. From October 1885 to February 1886, he worked at the Salpetriere Hospital in Paris under the great neurologist Charcot, whose teaching on hysteria awoke his interest in the problems of the neuroses as opposed to organic diseases of the nervous system. In April 1886, Freud opened his medical practice in Vienna, and on the 13th of September at last married his fiancée. Their first child, Mathilde, was born in October 1887. Five more children were to follow, the last being Anna Freud, born in 1895, the only one of Freud's children to become a psychoanalyst. His wife, Marta, was content to devote herself entirely to his welfare and to that of their six children throughout their long and tranquil married life. We know from letters that their sexual life declined comparatively early, but their family life remained harmonious. After his death, she wrote to a friend, And yet how terribly difficult it is to have to do without him, to continue to live without so much kindness and wisdom beside one. It is small comfort for me to know that in the fifty-three years of our married life not one angry word fell between us, and that I always sought as much as possible to remove from his path the misery of everyday life. From the mid-1890s onward, Freud's life becomes the history of the development of psychoanalysis. Studies on hysteria, written jointly with Josef Breuer, appeared in 1895. If one considers the influence which Freud has had upon contemporary thought and the fact that his own contributions to psychoanalysis are so extensive as to require twenty-four volumes, it is extraordinary that the first psychoanalytic publication did not appear until he was thirty-nine years old. What kind of personality is able to achieve so much within the span of only half a lifetime? Most people of outstanding intellectual achievement exhibit traits of personality which psychiatrists label obsessional. That is, they are meticulous, scrupulous, accurate, reliable, honest, and much concerned with cleanliness, control, and order. Only when these admirable traits become exaggerated do we speak of obsessional neurosis, a disorder which ranges in severity from mild compulsions to check and recheck, to a state of total disablement in which the sufferer's existence is so dominated by rituals that normal life becomes impossible. Freud himself recognized that his personality was obsessional, and told Jung that if he were to suffer from neurosis, it would be of the obsessional type. His intellectual precocity and his dedication to work, which remained compulsive from boyhood onwards, are characteristic. He wrote to his friend Fleece that he needed a dominating passion. He claimed that he could not contemplate a life without work, and that for him the creative imagination and work went together.
he was an enormously productive writer. Most of his writing was done on Sundays or late at night after a day in which he might have spent eight or nine demanding hours seeing analytic patients. Although he took long summer holidays, during which he was an energetic walker, he allowed himself little time for relaxation during the working week. Like most people with this type of personality, Freud was extremely neat in dress and appearance, even when early poverty made this difficult. A letter to Wilhelm Fleece reveals that a barber attended him daily. He exhibited all the most valuable traits characteristic of this variety of personality, being scrupulous, self-controlled, honest, and passionately concerned with the pursuit of truth. Freud himself described obsessional personalities as being especially orderly, parsimonious, and obstinate. He was certainly orderly and obstinate, and may have appeared parsimonious in his early days, when he was extremely poor and dependent upon financial help of friends like Josef Breuer. His tastes remained simple, and Ernest Jones tells us that he never owned more than three suits, three pairs of shoes, and three sets of underclothes. In later years he could not tolerate owing money to anyone, and although charging high fees to those who could afford them, gave generous financial help to those in need, including some patients, his own relatives, and poverty-stricken students. He also suffered from some of the tensions which are inseparable from the valuable traits found in obsessional personalities. He was superstitious about numbers. In a letter to Jung, 16th of April, 1909, he reveals that for many years he was convinced that he would die between the ages of 61 and 62. In 1904 he went to Greece with his brother and writes that it was really uncanny how often the number 61 or 60 kept on cropping up in connection with one or two. His hotel room in Athens was numbered 31, that is, half of 62. He writes to Jung that this obsession first appeared in 1899. At that time two events occurred. First, I wrote The Interpretation of Dreams, which appeared post-dated 1900. Second, I received a new telephone number, which I still have today, 14362. It is easy to find a factor common to these two events. In 1899, when I wrote The Interpretation of Dreams, I was 43 years old. Thus, it was plausible to suppose that the other figures signified the end of my life, hence 61 or 62. Such superstitions, often combined with compulsive rituals and a preoccupation with death, are commonly found in cases of obsessional neurosis. Ernest Jones has drawn attention to the fact that, like many other creative men of genius, Freud exhibited a peculiar oscillation between scepticism and credulity. Although Freud did not subscribe to the belief in mediums and spiritualism, which seduced so many scientists towards the end of the 19th century, he did retain an irrational conviction about the occult significance of numbers and a more than half-hearted belief in telepathy. Freud exhibited a number of other obsessional habits and traits, for example, he was a compulsive smoker of cigars. 
when during the years 1893 to 1896 he suffered from a recurrent cardiac arrhythmia, which may have been partly attributable to smoking, he found it impossible to abstain for long. At the age of 67, he developed a cancerous condition of the palate, which recurred throughout the rest of his life, requiring more than 30 operations. Although he knew that smoking was an agent which provoked recurrence by the irritation which it caused, he was unable to abandon the habit. Obsessional personalities usually exhibit self-control to the point of appearing inhibited and lacking in spontaneity, and Freud was no exception, but smoking was his Achilles' heel, a compulsive part of his behavior which he was unable to master. His collecting habits were also characteristic. Freud had a passion for antiquities stimulated by his classical studies, his romantic longing for Rome, and his interest in the remoter aspects of human history. Photographs of his apartment in Vienna and the reconstruction of that apartment in his study at 20 Maresfield Gardens, Hampstead, now the Freud Museum, show his collection of antique statuettes. These crowd the shelves and the top of his desk so closely that not one can be appreciated as an aesthetic object in its own right. This display is not that of a connoisseur, but that of an obsessional collector whose interest is in accumulation rather than in beauty. Freud himself realized that his interest in such objects, like his interest in sculpture, depended upon the historical associations of the object and its emotional and intellectual meaning, rather than upon its aesthetic form. He frankly admits as much in his essay on The Moses of Michelangelo, a piece which also exhibits Freud's meticulous attention to small details, which would escape the scrutiny of most observers.